This is Kansas City Today. I'm Zach Wilson in for Nomino Giudine. Today is Friday, October 28th. Coming up, a first-time Democratic candidate is taking on a legislative leader in the Missouri State Senate. We'll hear why this race is particularly challenging. So when you work on your lunches, a lot of times you get distracted from your actual lunch. So then you look at your phone and you're like, oh man, I used up my entire lunch doing political stuff and I haven't even gotten halfway through my lunch. Plus, pick-your-own venues like apple orchards and pumpkin patches are a big part of agricultural tourism, and they provide an important connection between farms and cities. Getting out on the farm, you know, being able to see that apple they picked where it came from rather than just going and picking it up in the grocery store um, is a fun and exciting thing. We'll look at the growing agritourism industry, but first, some headlines. In preparation for Saturday's NWSL championship game, the Kansas City Current has a bus called the Tealmobile that's selling team merch at local businesses. Yesterday afternoon, they were at Bar K in Kansas City's River Market with swag for fans and their dogs. Jake Douglas bought a teal bandana with the team's logo for his dog. He says he's a recent fan of the Current. Honestly, they opened their facility in Riverside. <laughs> The Current will play the Portland Thorns tomorrow night at 7. The team is holding a watch party at Union Station. Kansas voters this fall will vote on a state constitutional amendment that would make it harder to remove sheriffs from office. As Dylan Lyson of the Kansas News Service reports, the amendment says all counties that currently have elected sheriffs must keep it that way. A yes vote on the amendment means a sheriff can only be removed by the state's attorney general or a local recall election. A no vote would continue to allow local prosecutors to conduct removal procedures and allow county officials to turn an elected sheriff position into an appointed job. Diane Manier is an attorney who previously worked in several state offices. She says approving the amendment would mean local officials can't remove bad actors. Sometimes there is a a valid reason to remove someone from office. This amendment would make it much more difficult to remove someone from office. Supporters of the amendment say local residents should elect their sheriffs, and they have oversight through voting on candidates. Election day is November 8th. Early voting in Missouri is now open to registered voters, and this is the first time Missourians can vote early without an excuse. A new Missouri law allows registered voters to do so in person at their local election office, given that they can provide a valid, government-issued photo ID. Sean Kiefer of the Kansas City Election Board says about 750 people per day have shown up since early voting began, and he expects that number to increase. The big thing is it takes the pressure off our polls on Election Day, getting some people to vote early, and just lessens the number that we have to worry about on Election Day. Registered voters who do not have a valid photo ID can vote using a provisional ballot. The Government Accountability Office released a report on the growing nationwide teacher shortage yesterday. As KCUR's Zach Perez reports, the report is echoing concerns raised by educators in Kansas and Missouri. The report says low teacher pay is one of the main reasons teachers are leaving the field. Districts in both Kansas and Missouri have recently tried to improve salaries and benefits to encourage current and former teachers to continue teaching. Marcus Boltzell is the communications director of the Kansas chapter of the National Education Association. He says that low salaries are hurting students as much as teachers. How do you have a parent conference in in the checkout line at, you know, a grocery store where someone has a second job? The report lists two recommendations to the Department of Education, one of which is directed at improving teacher pay. 
a Democratic candidate is hoping to unseat the incumbent Republican and a legislative leader in the Missouri State Senate. As KCUR's Salisa Kalakal reports, the political newcomer faces daunting obstacles, taking on one of Jefferson City's legislative leaders. It's a Tuesday morning, and Sarah Shorter and I are sitting in a private room at one of the newest mid-continent public library branches along Green Hills Road in Kansas City's Northland. Shorter is tired this morning. There are bags under their eyes. Their overnight shift at the local hospital has been unusually busy. They have a second job, too. Three times a week, they work here at this public library branch. They also have a third job. I am running for Missouri State Senate, District 34. Running for office? How does Shorter balance it all? I work on my campaign in between everything. When I get to the hospital a little bit early, I will sit in my car for a few minutes and I will edit a TikTok. Like this one. To, to paraphrase the immortal words of Inigo Montoya, world-renowned swordsman, I don't think that phrase means what you think it means. Shorter grew up in Kansas City and attended religious schools. They say they were raised conservative. In 2020, they got their degree from the University of Kansas in women's, gender, and sexuality studies. Shorter's busy schedule didn't leave much time to talk with KCUR. So instead, Shorter sent brief audio diaries to capture their days. Um, so when you work on your lunches, a lot of times you get distracted from your actual lunch. So then you look at your phone and you're like, oh man, I used up my entire lunch doing political stuff and I haven't even gotten halfway through my lunch. That's fun. Shorter is passionate about supporting teachers and healthcare, but with no time to campaign, no staff, and next to nothing in a campaign war chest, it's almost impossible to get their message out. So far, Shorter has raised nearly $7,000, according to campaign finance filings. By contrast, her opponent, incumbent Republican Senator Tony Lutkemeyer, has raised nearly $400,000 this year. Lutkemeyer has a background in law and grew up in a small Missouri town. He's also the reason why Missourians will be voting in November on whether to increase funding to the Kansas City Police Department. I reached out to Lutkemeyer multiple times, but never heard back. Another obstacle for Shorter is that District 34 is pretty reliably Republican. Home to Platte County and a portion of Buchanan, the district is mostly suburban and partly rural. A Democrat hasn't held this seat since 1998. When Shorter considered running for office, they said the Platte County Democrats told them the 34th District Senate seat might be uncontested. So Shorter volunteered to step in. University of Kansas politics professor Patrick Miller says because of widespread partisan redistricting, uncontested races are becoming more common at the state and local level. If you're a party and you want candidates, that's a real struggle to get people to run in races where they have almost no chance. Why would you sign up to go through something where winning is hopeless? David Christian, a retiree and volunteer with the Platte County Democrats, says a hyperpartisan political environment also discourages engagement. And then, of course, that makes it hard for us to even recruit candidates because they look at uh, the fact that it's very difficult for a Democrat to win. Back at the library, Shorter said these challenges are why they're going to see their campaign till the end, even if it might seem futile. And I don't want people to see that, like, the candidate not trying. Because then it's like, well, then why should I care? So there's a lot of reasons why 
I don't just give up. I really wish that I could. While Shorter may not come away with victory this November, they hope their candidacy and the issues they're talking about will resonate with voters and maybe motivate more people to run for office. They say it's kind of like that student in a class that raises their hand first, hoping others will surely follow and raise their hand too. For KCUR 89.3, I'm Salisa Kolakal. For many people, fall is marked by taking trips to the pumpkin patch, getting lost in a corn maze, or catching a hayride. All of those activities are a part of agricultural tourism, and it's a booming industry. As Harvest Public Media's ex Caret Nunez reports, welcoming visitors to their farms is also a source of income for producers. It's a crisp fall afternoon at the P-Bar Farms, and Lauren Liebscher is driving families on his tractor to take them to his pumpkin patch. We're almost there, I see the pumpkins. Liebscher has been running his seasonal agritourism attraction for 21 years in the small town of Hydro, Oklahoma. The main farm attraction is his 10-acre corn maze, one of Oklahoma's first. We started with just three things. We had a pumpkin patch, a corn maze, and a petting zoo. Liebscher says he got into the agritourism business after he grew tired and stressed from being a wheat farmer. He got the idea to do a corn maze from an article in an ag magazine about a farmer making big profits off his maze. He said, okay, the corn in the maze is worth $1,000. Or he said, I just grossed $100,000 doing agritainment. Do you think I really care about the corn? <laughs> the U.S. Department of Agriculture estimates that agritourism, everything from corn mazes to apple orchards, has grown to nearly a billion-dollar industry. Kendra Meyer is an agritourism specialist for Iowa State University's Extension Office. She says one reason why people are visiting farms more is because they like to see where their food comes from. More and more people are moving to urban areas, and so people are removed just one step further from the farm life. And so getting out on the farm, you know, being able to see that apple they picked where it came from rather than just going and picking it up in the grocery store um, is a fun and exciting thing. Meyer says farmers she talks to typically get into agritourism as a way to make a side income. But it also allows farmers to share their story with visitors. And when you share that with, you know, to someone coming on your farm, it, it gives you a connection that you feel immediately with that farmer. And at least for me, I know it makes me feel good about buying my produce there because it's someone you trust, it's someone you know. Sherilyn and Alan Huffling have run their Huffling Pumpkin Patch and Corn Maze near Marcus, Iowa, as a side business for the past 26 years. They say they've never really thought of themselves as an agritourism attraction. They don't charge visitors to enter their patch, only for the pumpkins people pick off the vine. Gerilyn says they set it up every year because they genuinely enjoy having families visit their farm. Our passion for starting the pumpkin patch was having a place for families to go. I always tell people, first and foremost, we are a pumpkin patch. I want people to go out and pick. That's part of the fun. But getting started in agritourism isn't the easiest thing to do. Tara Peters and her husband have owned a pumpkin patch in Rolla, Missouri for 12 years. So when we started the pumpkin patch, you know, we kind of didn't know what we were doing. Today, Peters is a member of the Missouri Farm Bureau's Agritourism Committee. She says they learned from other farmers how to build up their business. When you're starting out, that's who you rely on. People that have done it before and then you come share what works for you and what doesn't work for you. And then you grow from there. Back on the P-Bar Farms, 
a three-year-old girl is looking around to pick out her first pumpkin. A pumpkin! Yeah, come on, let's look at it over here. It's too heavy. Yeah, let's go find a different one. It's moments like these Lauren Liebscher says he'll miss. After two decades, he's put his farm up for sale. His wife had health issues last year, and he says it's time to move on. And it'll be hard for me because it's been such a huge part um, of my life, and, and I've spent a lot of time and effort in agritourism. Liebscher hopes the next owner of his corn maze will put as much passion into the business as he did. For Harvest Public Media, I'm Excret Nunez. Harvest Public Media is a collaboration of public media newsrooms in the Midwest and Great Plains, including KCUR 89.3. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Zach Wilson. This podcast is produced by Byron Love and KCUR Studios. It's edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. You can read X Caret's story on agritourism and Felisa's article on the state Senate seat race for Missouri's 34th district at kcur.org, where you can find all kinds of coverage on the upcoming midterm elections. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great weekend. On the latest episode of Overlooked, Chapter 3, Stacy Quinn's Story. Kansas City, Kansas detective Roger Golubsky started taking advantage of Stacy Quinn when she was only a teenager, according to her family. Local activists allege this was a pattern for Golubsky's girls. She was saying that he had arrested her for prostitution back in the early 90s. That's when he started putting her in jail. Maybe it was something he wanted that she wouldn't do or she wouldn't give him. That's the only thing I can think of. The detective would pick up vulnerable women in the neighborhoods he patrolled, sexually abuse them for years, and then manipulate them into silence. And just like Stacy Quinn, many of them were murdered. Overlooked, a new podcast from KCOR Studios in the Midwest Newsroom. Get the new episode on Apple, Spotify, and KCOR.org. Mm-hmm.